Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. I know you have a to-do list, but do you have a to-be list? Mark LeBusque, author of Being Human and The Little Book of Human, underwent an experiment where he decided to focus on how to be versus what to do. And the results, of course, is he got more done with his people. Learn this incredible leadership skill set so that you can be the team that achieves so much from anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Mitch Simon on the West Coast. And on the East Coast, we have our amazing co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. Vinny, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing good. Thank you. Doing good. Great. Well, I understand you've brought us an incredible guest from far, far away today. Could you introduce us to our guest? I certainly can. And I am excited to introduce Mark Labosque, who is an author, speaker, and podcaster in the area of leadership, with a specialty in the topic of leaders and managers being, wait for it, human. He was one of LinkedIn's top voices in 2021, founder of the Human Manager Academy, and a leadership coach, mentor, and facilitator. He studied leadership at Harvard and works out of Australia, which you will soon identify. He has written two books, Being Human and The Little Book of Human. Welcome. Thanks for having me. And yes, you will notice that accent. And thanks for picking that up before, Mitch. But yeah, lovely to be here. So glad to have you. We're going to start with asking you a question we've been asking many guests And that is, what have you learned in the past two years with this worldwide social experiment that we seem to be involved in? What have I learned? Well, one thing, being in Melbourne, Australia, we were in the most lockdown city in the world. So we had just short of 300 days of pretty hard lockdown. So what did I learn? One thing I learned was connection and belonging really matter. And it's something that's important to me in my work is the deep connection. We crave deep connection and a strong sense of belonging. And when you lose that in that physical sense, you start to understand that the little things mean a lot to you. The second one is be open to any possibility. I was very much against virtual work before the pandemic hit and my business model had to change overnight and I had to start to embrace that. So embrace your adaptability and be open to the possibility. And the third one, I'm going to quote a great leadership consultant from the US, Cy Wakeman, who says, your ego is not your amigo. And my ego was running rampant when I was in the pandemic, particularly about being in the room. So they were things that I really learned in that time. And I think I learned some things about myself that I perhaps I didn't want to, wouldn't want to know about at the time. So it's been a tough time, but also a great learning experience. That is fabulous. fabulous. Mark, I've never heard the word amigo said with an Australian accent. That was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Where I live, it's over 50% of the population here speaks Spanish. So yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> 
All right. So you're known for your books on being human. What does it mean to be a human leader? Well, there's a few things here. Like when I think about what it is to be human first, when people ask me to explain and describe it, I talk about being structurally unstructured, being perfectly imperfect, being lonely and loved, vulnerable, decisive. And I'm going to say at times a little bit of a tyrant. I think you need to be able to jump around in different management styles. Even though you want to be human as much as you can, you need to do some different things there. I talk about at times we need to be superhuman as a manager. We need to be a bit of a pushover. We need to be a bit robotic as well. So I think we need to be able to adapt. Spending time to get to know your people is critical in the space if you're going to really embrace human leadership. Trusting that people turn up with good intention to do good work, then they don't have to gain your trust. They really have to lose it. Making people feel relevant and understanding their contribution, I think, are some of the things. And the last one I'm going to say here is holding your nerve because I know when I practiced my experiment, there were times there because it was a bit different to what the business expected. I had to hold my nerve and stay with it because it's a long game. Yeah, let me ask you to share that experiment because I think it's fascinating and it's what led you to writing of the books and then get back to that concept of holding your nerve. Sure. I'd had a couple of different careers. I'll share a bit of context. I was your typical young, over-promoted high ego manager who in the mid-20s had been put into some roles that I really wasn't ready for, put in there because I was technically good at what I did. I came from, let's call it the shop floor in the logistics business. So working, loading planes and driving trucks and then into the call center and into sales. And I got through there because I was technically good. I didn't care much for the people. If I'm going to be really honest, I cared about my title and I cared about my career and I treated people like units of labour and outputs. I did that for quite some time, and then the karma bus turned up and I was made redundant at a young age. And I still did the same thing for a while, but then as I got a bit older, and you sort of start to get a bit more introspective, I asked myself a question one day which turned into my experiment, which was, what would happen if I treated my people like human beings? That's an interesting question to ask yourself after over 20 years in the corporate world. But I ran an experiment for two years where I literally wrote down on an A3 sheet of paper the word trust in the middle of it and then wrote around that, what would it look like if I truly treated my people like humans? And so then for two years, I unlearned a lot of what I'd been taught in the way that I should manage. And it really was coming from, let's call it below the neck management. It was about heart and gut rather than just the logical stuff and saw some incredible things change over that time. Like a few things that you've shared with us then, but in your business, you began to see people were happier on the one hand, but you're making more money on the other because of it. Yeah. And I think bad Mark, as I called him, that younger version of me, it was all about the money. And it was all about, you know, making sure I was 3%, 4% ahead of target just to keep safe and all of those things. But let's call him good Mark in the opposite. I'd always thought that this idea that people are the most important part of your business was true, but we didn't practice it. So I looked at it in three ways. The people started to come to work happier. We started to see absenteeism reduce and you know, all of those sort of measures that tell you whether people want to be there or not. Engagement surveys is the big one. We were in the 90% range in our engagement surveys. And then the third thing, and I say it very deliberately third, our business results were phenomenal. And 
I didn't look at them to start with. I looked more at the people. And I think once you look after the people, I think your business results, like I'd never seen before, were through the roof, as we say here in Australia. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Now, in your book, you talk about Frankie and Otto. I'm asking that question because perhaps that sort of parallels with that your own experiment. Could you share a little more about that? Yes, certainly. So the book is based around this idea of moving away from this sort of robotic, technically based style that we've been embracing for over 100 years. And Frankie, in essence, was me in the first book. So the little fable in the book about Frankie and what he did, and basically as a robot, he managed more like a human being. And the results that Frankie was getting were very different to what the business had usually seen. And then there's a little friend, Otto, as we call him, our metal mate, Otto, who was a peer of Frankie's, but got a bit jealous. And Frankie's not playing by the rules. And in fact, at one stage in the business, even though my results were good, someone said to me, we love your results, Mark. We just don't like the way you go about it. You don't look stressed enough. You smile too much. And you're laughing a lot and you're having a co- lots of coffees and things. So they were very suspicious yeah. of this new mark. Yeah, absolutely. So there was this level of, I think, jealousy, I don't think is too strong a word to use. And there's a bit of a resistance to this style. And and so, you know, Frankie is then told to go back to his usual way. Yeah. Go back to how the system wants you to be. And then the results started to drop off. So the idea of those two, now, ultimately what they do is, because they want the results, they allow Frankie to go back to what he was doing. And then they suggest to Otto that would be good for him. And now from being, let's call them corporate enemies, they became very good friends because they both took on the human style. Yeah. So this then relates to you saying that you have to hold your nerve. Yeah, I think this was a big piece. And I'd encourage this for anybody because if you're going to go down the pathway of true human leadership, it's a long game. We don't KPI this stuff on a weekly basis. You don't know that it's got better in a month. It takes some time, three to six months before I started to see the signs. But in that time, there's no linear pathway with this human management either because you're dealing with humans full of emotions and all sorts of things. So some days it would go really well. Other days it wasn't going so well. At one point in time, I felt there was almost a bit of a mutiny about to happen from my team towards me. And I remember saying to myself, hold your nerve because this is worth it and you're so far into it. To go back the other way would not just be, I guess, a level, I'd say, of me being a little bit weak, but I'd be letting my people down. And so I think anyone in that moment where you feel like the system's starting to strangle you or take you back to where you need to be, I think they're three really valuable words to remind yourself of. Totally. And that sometimes I think, and Mitch probably has found this too, when you're working with a leader who is trying to go on this journey. I remember one leader I had who just put his head down, you know, and his hands, you know, around his head because he goes, God, this is hard. This is hard. And having that support until their own team begins to get it. You know, yeah, I love the way that you put that. Do they get it? And this is what I say to a lot of people today, my clients, or even people I work with, you actually get it, don't you? And they go, yeah. And you can actually see the difference between the people who espouse it and the people who say, we really want this, but they're really box ticking versus the people who 
they've got to a point where they go, you know what, there's some different way and it's not coming usually again from above the neck, it's below the neck, it's that real heart and gut stuff and getting it is very important and what we've got to be really conscious of is we don't do this as a phase or some management fad, we do it because we believe in it. Right. Now, you talk about some tools and I'm now thinking about, especially now with virtual, how do I make this happen? And they may not quite believe it yet themselves. Yeah, look, I think the three tools that I'd share with you here that I think have worked really, really well. And again, these things are pretty simple and practical, as I like to say. So the first one is what I call, in both books, called the first five questions. And the first five questions are really there to help build deeper connection with your people. And I call this part of my listen and learn I guess, process that I went through. The five questions are simple. You give these to your people and you get them to come and tell you their answers, tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, and just listen to them. And the questions are, what do you expect of me? What's your work style preference? So what is it like when you can thrive rather than survive? Yeah. How do you get balance in your life? What does great leadership look like? And then what are your three most important values? So asking those questions and then listening, what I found out was that I sped up my deeper connection with people by about two years by spending 90 minutes with them and really digging deeply into that. The second one is what I call the perspective line. And I get my people to do an activity where they actually write down the five most important things in their life, the five moderately important and the five least. And then we do a little bit of a reflective activity on, I reckon that your least important things are your most important things at the moment because people forget about health and family and, you know, financial security is important, work's important, but that's the second one. And then the third one is what I call humanization and this concept that we've got to put being before doing. So every day we should ask ourselves this question, how do I choose to be right now? So what's in my to-be list rather than my to-do list? Because I believe that if we create a to-be list, like I turn up today and I can, how do I choose to be on this podcast? I choose to be present and engaged and curious because what if I turned up and decided I wanted to be disinterested and I don't want to talk to these people from the other side of the world? It right. impacts on who I am. Yeah. Jeez, I hope I'm not boring. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that'd be three things I think that everyone can do those things right now. Right. And then here's the magic. What is the tool when someone says, all right, I hear you. I need to concentrate on the being. How do I do that? I get up. I got my to-do list. Now what? Yep. So I actually have a little A5 pad called the Humanovation pad. And if people go into my website, they can actually get an editable one of these. I use that every day where I just, I'm very, very deliberate about how I'm going to choose to be. I usually say this one, every day I choose to be curiously provocative. That's my big word. But then I've got engagements all day with different people. I've got to practice that every engagement I go into. So the way that I do that is I do what I call practice the two A's. Awareness in the moment of what am I thinking? Are my thoughts helpful or harmful? And if they're harmful, then the second A is adjustment. So it's just that real mindset piece and becoming more aware of what the stories are that are going on in your mind will help you to practice that and write yourself a to-be list. There you go. I think that's really important. I do too. And then I also, and I know you do too, 
try to help people come up with triggers. So for you, you have your list. Plus, since you live this, all you need to see is or remember the two A's or whatever. Some people need, no, I'm going to need more than that, (laughs) that they say. And you know what, I think this is where humans don't give themselves the credit for the capability they have to do this if they simply start to practice it. So sometimes we're looking for the real complex and complicated solution. And some people say to me, but that's just really simple and common sense. And I go, that's right. Because that's what we've got to get back to in order to embrace our humanity is that we don't have to become more human. We are human already. And if we started to practice those things again, they would become learned behavior, these learned behaviors that I think we've lost along the way. Yes. We can almost re-engage with those human behaviors. So they now become the norm. Absolutely. As opposed to these things we've adopted because we think we have to be a certain. Little things like, you know, every time I get into the car, that is when I'm going to ask myself the question, how am I being? So here's a really practical thing to do for people. When you go into your next meeting, before you pull out your to-do list, go around the room and ask each person how you're going to choose to be in this meeting. Oh, oh, that was good. Now, just on that, I'll give you an example. I would ask that of my former team when I was good, Mark, and someone would say, a bit quiet today because I've got some things going on outside of work and I'm just a little bit distracted. Rather than get to the end of the meeting and then say, oh, well, you know, if that was you, Virginia, Virginia didn't contribute today, I actually know that there's something going on. So I'm not making assumptions that you're not contributing Or if someone came in and said, I'm going to be a bit antagonistic today because I think we practice group think too much, I'm not going to leave the meeting and go, well, they weren't fitting in today. I'm going to go, they actually were very deliberately doing something to help us. So I think that's that's an important little practice to bring into your teams. I love that one. Well, thanks for that little gift there. I know that I've heard of giving someone a black hat. Yeah. So as you said, Mark is the antagonist. So I'm going to, I'm giving myself permission to, you know, disagree, which is always good for the group. We do too much of that group think, and we don't make the progress that again, we're capable of making. You know, without this exercise, what usually shows up is, you know, I'm going to be non-confrontational and agreeable and protect myself from people not liking me. It'd be nice if I knew that ahead of the time, then we could really talk about that. You know, I, I know well, not to expect much from you. We're human beings. We're social species. We like to be liked. I have a little saying, and it is politeness prolongs progress. And what I mean by that is not that sort of etiquette politeness. It's what you just described. It's my story going, I'm going to be really polite in this meeting so people will like me and I don't ruffle any feathers and get anyone offside. That actually prevents you from making the progress. I think we need, I say bravo to the well-intentioned provocateurs and protagonists and antagonists in meetings because we need them. That's human. Yes. And that sort of goes back, I believe, to when you said maybe sometimes you have to be a tyrant. The point is you're announcing that. Yeah. You're letting folks know or listen, everybody, we're going to discuss X, Y, Z. You see that on the agenda. I'm going to tell you right now, this is a difficult topic and I do not like the discussions we've had in the past. So I'm just letting you know. 
That's a very different discussion. And because what you've just done is you've made sense to people. And again, we're a sense-making species. And if we can't make sense, and if I change my style without actually being deliberate about it and letting people know, they'd be like, which Mark's turning up today? And that's when people disengage. So I think you made a great point. Announcing it to your team is really, really important. So they can go, well, I can make sense of that now. And now I don't feel like it's going to be bad. I think it's going to be good for us. Yes, I love it. So when you enter an organization, Mark, what are people asking for? Hey, just tell us about human leadership and then you pontificate? Yeah, I sit there and pontificate forever. It's interesting. I'll tell you what I do. I ask a lot of questions because people, the H word has become really popular in the last two years, human. But to build momentum before that about we need to be more human in the workplace. The first thing I'll do is ask them, why are you doing this work? Because what I'm trying to work out is, are they invested or are they ticking a box here? And you can find out really quickly whether they're invested in it or whether they're not. I look for red flags. I get asked this question very often right near the start of a chat. What's the ROI going to be on the change? And I go, yeah. and my response is this, Virginia and Mitch is, I don't know. <laughs> and then why am I paying you all this money? And then they look at me like, hang on, that's not what the consultants are supposed to say. I don't know what it is because you're doing the work. You are the work. I'm there there, I'm here to go. enable you. And, you know, I also look for things like how often have they tried some sort of intervention? Usually when I get asked in, things aren't just going a little bit wrong. They're going very wrong because they've tried all the other things and all of a sudden they go, hey, I think we need to be provoked a little bit. So they're the things that I'd be looking for, but lots of questions. I think it's really important in the space that, that we're in is that, and I'll tell clients this, that I'm actually trying to work out whether I want to work with you just as much as you're doing the same sure. with me. Yeah, because this is a partnership, it's a journey, and you got to pack your bag and come along. I would love to cut open your head and pour it inside, but until then, <laughs> this is wonderful. Give me just a couple before we leave, a couple of I told you so's. That's a oh, subheading really? in one of your books. It is indeed. I don't know the amount of times I've told myself I told you so, and that's been <laughs> happening for decades. Like, because you just, you know, I'm human too, and you just don't learn. So here's a couple. One is to lose the B word, busy. Uh-huh. Like, busyness and busy has become a badge of honor and almost a safety mm-hmm. net for people that I'm so busy, I've got so many meetings to go to. And I say this to people rather than saying, I'm busy, when someone says to you, you must be busy or are you really busy? I say this to them. I'm really productive. And then I just pause and they look at me like I've got two heads because you're supposed to be busy days. So I think that's one is lose the B word. And the other one that I had written down, and we've talked about this already, is make sure you make sense. Like it's so important as a manager that you are making sense because (laughs) you know what happens sometimes when you talk to your people. and And I hear this a lot at the end of a sentence now. It's like, do you understand And people just nod their heads because that's what you're supposed to do, almost subserviently. I better look like I know what Mark said because if I don't, he's going to think I don't know how to do my job. And then we spiral into this bad news filing cabinet that we have. And so if someone's not making sense and you say, do you understand, and they look like they don't, be kind to them and then say this to them, can you replay it back for me? That's right. Yeah. I'll give you one other one quickly. Your work should never define you. 
Mm. I'm big on what I call life design, traditionally called work-life balance. But so many people are defined these days by what their work is. So when that work's not there, it's almost like popping the balloon and deflating and all of, who am I? So Mm -hmm. just be really, really careful that your work doesn't become you. And you include that in one of your first four questions. You know, what does balance mean Absolutely. In fact, my last team, I had them build non-work-related goals into their performance plan and they earned 15% of their bonus by doing things like going for a walk with their partner on the beach, cool. reducing their golf handicap and talking at a local school. I actually paid them up to 15% of their bonus because it. it was really important that they did those sorts of things. It's so you're cool. paying human beings to be human. Yeah. That is such a crazy idea there, Mark. Why would you do that, Mitch? I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> hey, now, this is just a listening podcast, but t- let me share with the audience. I cannot see what's on your T-shirt. What does it say? Have a to-be list. Yeah, do you have a to-be list? So I think I've got about 30 of these shirts, which are my uniform, and they have little statements or questions or call to actions for people who come into the room. And I think it's really important that, People read it and just reflect on it for a moment. That's wonderful. And the one I'm going to, you know, will use is uh, how are you showing up right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one sort of punches people in the face. Yeah, <laughs> that's the idea. But only metaphorically punches them in the yeah, face. Oh, we don't t- actually totally, physically totally. strike them. Or otherwise, we just have to announce, well, I'm about to punch you in the face. <laughs> just so they're prepared. I really do appreciate the experiment you know, I really fully present your experiment that you had a few years ago or many years ago where you asked the question, huh, what would happen if instead of focusing on what there is to do, I focus on what there is to be. I could really appreciate that trying to jump into that lake or that soup or that ocean would seem like to be really uncomfortable and counterintuitive. And it's so amazing to see that by focusing on who must I be actually has you be more productive, makes you more productive in all the things that you have to do. Yeah. So how can we find you, Mark, maybe get one of your t-shirts or get one of your books or, you know, or some of the tools that you actually have, which I think you called the humanization process. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah. So you can find me on my website is a good place. It's www.marklebusque. It's L-E-B-U-S-Q-U-E.com. In there, I have a fortnightly blog that comes out that you can sign up for. I don't try and spam you and sell you anything else. It's just like my thoughts over that time. My podcasts are in there. There's some other tools and tips. And uh, I guess the other one is LinkedIn. Please, people, reach out and send me a connection request on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I think it's a great source of information and learning, but it's a great place to connect with other human beings as well. The other thing, just quickly to keep an eye out for next month, because I got over my ego, which wasn't my amigo, I've created an online self-paced version of my in-the-room work, which is called the Human Manager Academy, and that launches in October this year. And it's two modules, one on leading self and one on leading team. And it takes about they take about 60 minutes each, and it's got all the simple practical stuff in there that I've learned to put together over the last eight to 10 years. Wow, good for you that you were able to get it down to those two modules because now people will actually listen to it. The Human Manager Academy, great. Well, I want to thank you, Mark, for joining us today. Really delightful to have someone from the land down under. And it's so great to have Ginny, as always. And it's so great, pleasure to have you all of our incredible listeners. If you've loved this episode or any of our episodes, please share 
this episode with your friends, your colleagues, your family. And we look forward to seeing you next time on our next edition of Team Anywhere. Anywhere.